This is a Diet of Brussels. How can we extend Brexit? Uh, this is a question that's uh, come up at various points in various guises, but one of the things that hasn't really been done is a general view of the different options. And as you can tell, I'm doing this again in an airport departure lounge here in Prague, uh, which uh, has a very nice sunset and uh, a delayed flight, so uh, plenty of time for you and me to talk about those different options. And the first question, obviously, is why would you want to extend it? You know, this is already something that has gone on for uh, almost two years since the referendum. Uh, we're not uh, nearly at the end of it. The formal timetable uh, is that on the 29th of March next year, the UK will formally leave. That they will then start a transition period that runs through to the end of 2020. And after that, you'll have a new relationship between the EU and the UK. One of the consistent themes that's come through in the interviews that I've done with different people, uh, looking at the different issues, and just in the, the previous episodes that we've had, is that this time frame, this time scale is very tight, that it doesn't really leave much scope to do very much, or indeed everything that needs to be done. So what I want to try and do here is think about why, uh, or the different ways in which you can actually uh, extend uh, that process, put more time in, either now or uh, further down the line. Broadly speaking, you've got three main areas. You've got Article 50 itself, so the period uh, up to leaving the EU. You've got the transition period, uh, and then you've got the bit after the transition period. So let's try and break those down. Article 50 is the the obvious place to start because that's where we're in at the moment the UK is a member state uh, it has very clearly defined rights and obligations under the treaties and uh, one of those things that uh, uh, is effectively a right and obligation is that it's possible for all parties involved in the article 50 process to agree to have more time to negotiate that they can uh, reach a deal uh, that says we need uh, another however many months or years or whatever time period you need to uh, reach a, a satisfactory conclusion. And uh, this can be done by a, a simple agreement of the, uh, the parties involved and uh, you know, it doesn't actually really involve anything more than that. There's no uh, heavier procedure. So uh, procedurally it's, it's probably the most simple of the options. Now the advantage of doing that is that you can have as much time as you need to, uh, to uh, agree and ratify uh, an agreement. Uh, it means you have no worries about having a cliff edge of uh, the UK falling out, out of uh, a deal uh, or out of its relations with the EU. And if you took this to its logical extension, you could actually do away with the whole transition period. And as we've discussed before, transition is problematic because uh, the UK will be doing all the things a member state does, but without having any representation in that process. So, there's some good reasons why you might choose to do it at this stage, that uh, particularly if there's uncertainty about where you're going, uh, it makes sense to extend the status quo until you, you know actually what you're going to do.
However, it's precisely that benefit, uh, which is also its biggest problem uh, area, that politically this looks very toxic, that if you start to say, we know we said that we would respect the referendum results and that we would leave uh, on uh, the 29th of March, 2019 and if you now say well actually it'll be another six months or it might be a year uh, and clearly once you start extending article 50 once you end up in a, a situation where it's easier much easier to have further extensions that that starts to look like uh, undermining the uh, democratic outcome of the referendum in the UK so politically this is very toxic for uh, this government and any government that uh, says that it wants to respect the outcome of that uh, particular decision. It's also problematic for the EU. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, March 2019 was a convenient date for the UK to leave is that it meant that the UK wouldn't have to uh, put up uh, MEPs for election in uh, May of next year. Uh, it meant that the UK wouldn't have to be involved in the discussions about a uh, multi-annual financial framework which will start in 2021. So those discussions have begun already because it takes a long time because member states don't agree at the best of times and having the UK in that will add a further complication, particularly if you're not sure at what point the UK might step out. So the legal simplicity uh, and the, uh, the kind of the, the pragmatic uh, simplicity of this option uh, rubs up very badly against financial and particularly legal problems. And you could argue more democratic constitutional problems. A second way of, of doing this is that you could say, okay, by uh, March, uh, by the timetable that we have, which is roughly to have an agreement this autumn so that it's ratified in time for March next year. You could say, well, okay, we'll stick to that timetable, but we'll agree a later departure date. So that rather than having transition uh, start on the 30th of March, you actually would just extend membership. So you say, we've agreed uh, within the deadline and we fixed a point further down the line when the UK actually would leave. So that would be a way of sticking with the timetable of Article 50, i.e. Uh, having things wrapped up uh, two years after notification, but extending membership, and again, the advantage of extending membership is that it provides more certainty, avoids uh, the democratic issues around uh, transition, whilst also giving more time to those bodies uh, involved. And again, if you're thinking about what transition uh, is for, it's partly about putting the groundwork in for a future relationship. Uh, however, a lot of the same problems uh, re-emerge, that as long as the UK remains a member state, it retains the scope to revisit that agreement. Uh, and for those people who worried about this being a, a way to stay in permanently or semi-permanently, uh, inside the EU, it looks like a backdoor uh, kind of procedure. So whilst that's a theoretical option, it doesn't really offer any great advantage. It's, it's some more time as a member state, but without uh, the advantages that might come with that. So th that's the first phase, that's Article 50. We can do some things there. 
But actually, a lot of the discussion that we're seeing now is about after March 29 uh, next year. So after the point that the UK leaves. Now, as it stands, as I've said, we've got this uh, 19-month period of transition through to the end of December 2020, uh, in which the UK follows all the rules, implements all the procedures, the rulings of the court, pays into the budget, everything that a member state does, except be present in legislative procedures, not having MEPs, not having a, a seat at the Council or the European Council. Now, again, part of the reason for having that relatively short transition period is that the EU wants the UK off the books uh, in a, this very close sense by the time the next financial cycle uh, begins. It's also because transition itself is somewhat legally questionable because Article 50 doesn't actually provide for a transition period. So keeping it as short as possible, uh, getting things moving on uh, uh, so we can get to the, the end state is desirable for a number of reasons. But again, we also have to remember why transition is there. It's there because it's recognised that having a new relationship agreed and ratified uh, was too difficult to try and do at the same time as Article 50, so it was agreed that that would be pushed to start uh, at the end of March next year. So negotiations about that future relationship are only going to begin uh, in that 19-month uh, uh, window. And given what we know, we know that that's going to be very difficult to do because uh, you're going to maybe need an hour, not an hour, a year, an hour would be wonderful, a year to ratify that. Uh, text. So you've only got nine months, or seven months rather, in which to ratify a text of a type of agreement that's not really ever been tried before. Obviously then that offers one solution, which is why not have more time in the Article 50 withdrawal agreement for a longer period of transition. You might say instead of 19 months, we actually have three years or five years or something like that, which is more in line with the amount of time that we've seen for other trade negotiations that the UK has done. That would avoid problems at the end of the process. It would give everybody enough time to get things in order. And, you know, if you didn't use all the time, then you don't need to have all the time. So you could say, well, actually, we could trim it back down. The danger here is that giving more time uh, might make things take longer, that if you remove time pressures, then people say, oh, well, we've got four years, five years to do this, what's the hurry? We can take a year to think about it and to hum and ha. So actually, the time pressure can be a constructive uh, issue. Again, there's also a problem that, uh, as we saw with the Article 50, if we have uh, transition run into 2021 or beyond, then uh, the structure of the EU budget will have been determined without the e UK being considered or its views being considered and without allocations to the UK which it would be due as uh, a country that uh, was almost a member state but not quite a member state. So there's a lot of problems uh, around uh, having a longer uh, period and again that's before we even get to the legal issue which is that uh, quite possibly having a longer period might infringe uh, other provisions of the legal of the EU's treaties around having a, uh, a, a different legal basis for relations with third countries which the UK would become. 
with those things in mind, we might think about uh, another way that you could deal with transition, which is rather than saying at the beginning, we'll make it longer, is to say, we'll keep the 19 months, but we'll have a mechanism to allow for extension further down the line. The draft agreement that was published in March doesn't have any provision for extension. Uh, now, uh, I will admit, originally I thought, well, fine, if everyone agrees to extend, you can extend. But uh, talking with legal scholars uh, and uh, people who've worked in the EU's legal service, actually the reason there isn't a provision is that there was this question mark about whether you could have a uh, transition at all, and that having uh, an extension mechanism would be much more problematic. So the advantage of having a mechanism over just having a longer period is you could keep the shorter period, but then if whatever reason you had a, sense, a genuine reason why you needed more time, you had a simple uh, prescribed way of uh, giving more time that could be done. But again, the same problems, that this might look like a way of endlessly extending uh, and also any extension immediately runs into the same issues around finances or uh, the kind of the legality of the situation. And I think it's important to stress once more, there's also a more democratic constitutional issue that even if uh, a transition could be extended legally, it means a longer period in which the UK is subject to all the rules and the uh, requirements of membership without having the representation that other member states have. And the longer that goes on, clearly, the more problematic that is for uh, the legitimacy of the UK and of the, uh, of the UK's relationship with the EU. So there's problems uh, with both extending Article 50 and with extending the transition, even though you might think that there are some options there. Obviously, then, the final part is what comes after transition. At the moment, the understanding is that you move straight into a new relationship, that you'll have a new trade deal signed and ratified, and that come the 1st of January 2021, you'll have a new basis on which to move. Now, if you think that that's optimistic, you've got a couple of possibilities here as well. The first one is, is that you create a new transition period. So you have a transition two. Now, that you could do on a new legal basis, one that's more appropriate to relations with third countries, which would basically copy over uh, the vast majority of the withdrawal agreement terms. So it would still look a lot like uh, the transition period, but you'd address the legal basis issues. You could put in new mechanisms for representation and accountability that might address the constitutional ones. The big problem with that is that it's very nakedly a holding pattern. To have one transition period followed by another transition period looks very much like a pattern, uh, largely because it is a pattern, that you'd be saying, we still don't know what we're doing. And remember, this would be something that would be coming in in 2021, uh, some, what would it be, uh, five years nearly, uh, four and a half years after the referendum, which decided the UK should leave. And still we're in this uh, limbo that exists. The one obvious uh, response to that is, well, this new transition period could be time-limited, but then immediately you run into the same issues that the uh, current planned transition period has, which is that uh, you might need more time. So sensibly, this new transition period would have to be a standing one until you can have the full uh, detail of the new final relationship uh, agreed and put in place. 
And that might obviously lead some to say, well, let's just drag our feet. Why give up a good thing? You know, here's the UK having to do what we want, if you're the EU. Uh, they don't have any say in the matter, really, so let's just tr string this out. You know, we'll, we'll pretend to negotiate, but we might just uh, carry on forever and ever and never quite get round to putting things on a different footing. The final option, then, is to say, OK, let's try to avoid those problems and say, by the end of 2021, we could have the new relationship in place, or the, uh, the basic agreement, but we have a a provisional agreement which is a transition period into this new relationship. So the difference between that and the previous one is that rather than having transition two that's a freestanding document, you have transition two that is a prelude, you know, it's legally attached to the new relationship. And you say, broadly speaking, we use this to flesh out the details of this broad plan. That actually is probably what will happen anyway, that there will be an interim implementation of the new relationship because it will take time to ratify. The problem then is that it doesn't actually buy you any time. You still have, by the end of 2020, to have agreed the outline of the new relationship. You have to have mechanisms in place, but it doesn't really give you any uh, goals. If you like, this brings us back around to the first uh, option. The, the things that might be simplest and that you know, we have some basis in, uh, clear basis in law that we could uh, do them by are the things that are most problematic, either because they bring no benefit in the case of having this uh, transition into new relationship or because they're politically highly problematic, like extending Article 50. So to pull all this together, we can find ways, and I think we will see ways in which this process goes beyond the end of 2020. However, that's going to be a very problematic issue, either because of the law, or because of politics, or constitutional concerns, or because of finances. So it's possible to do this, but it's going to come at a cost, and it's going to come with lots of difficult debates for all involved. So whilst we might think that there might be advantages in having more time, and we can certainly see how it would solve some problems, it will create problems as well. And with that thought, I shall continue to watch the sunset, and I shall see you next time.